start this morning. We've been looking at, uh, at Satan and Lucifer. Uh, we've been looking at what his wisdom plan has, all, has been about. Romans 1, verse 25, the Apostle Paul kind of sums it up in one verse, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And that's really a great summation of the adversary's plan. And we saw that. Today's Halloween. It's October 31st. The, you know, all that good stuff is happening and everything. And I just got to thinking about, you know, we talked last time about what Satan missed in the DNA of man, the, the inner man issue, the soul issue. And uh, he, when, you know, Psalms 139, God wrote a book and he, and he goes and he's there. So how did Satan respond to that? And we saw the, the issue of God also wrote another book. Isaiah there, he wrote the word of God. And there's a parallel between the written word, the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and your, you, you and I, our DNA, how man is structured, how God structured man. And again, Satan misses that. He, he's, he missed it. He's in, he's in, he knows about it now but he missed it back there in the, in the Garden of Eden, okay? Or in the Garden when God made Adam and Eve. So he, come back with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. When Satan responded to man, and he responds to man by trying to corrupt man's DNA, Genesis 3, verse 15. The Lord here, verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, we always skip that and run right to 15, but don't miss what's the curse on the adversary. Again, the serpent here, he's not a snake wrapped around a pole, okay? He's actually, Ezekiel 28 describes him as a very beautiful, wonderful, awe-inspiring, Superman type of a creature. Um, I, uh, years ago, I was, uh, was helping a lady move, and she had me pack up her bookcase, which is the wrong thing to do to a bookworm, you know? So I pull off, I'm doing, and I pull a book off, and it's a love romance novel, and it's got Fabio on the cover of it. Flowing long hair, you know, buffed out. And I'm sitting there going, that's probably kind of what Eve saw when she saw the serpent. A wonderful, beautiful-looking creature standing there. And then he beguiles her, and he goes and he does his thing. But notice the curse that the Lord puts on him is what is he going to eat all the days of his life? What is man made out of? Dust, dirt. See, there's a connection there. There's something going to connect now to how Satan's going to be dealt with, 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So what does Satan know is going to happen here? He knows something. The word of God just revealed something to him. Who's going to nail him? Who's going to get him? The seed of the woman is going to get him, right? So then what does Satan, how does Satan respond to that? Come over to chapter 6. He knows very well what's going to happen here. He has now an attack plan. In, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the, the strategies of, of, of the adversary and how he's going to strategize and go and do and attack you and I specifically, the body of Christ, the, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of the lost. 2 Corinthians 4. Okay? He's not worried about the lost. His focus is on you and I. Not to get us out of Christ, but to cause us to, well, we learn in Romans 8, to, to live under the suffering and to forget who we are in Christ and to go live independently of God. Watch what he does here with man. Genesis 6. In verse number 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. 
The sons of God there, that's another title for the angelic realm. And Satan has fallen. He's taken a third of the angelic upper echelon, who then subsequently catches the, a bulk of the rest of them until the, until the Lord uh, creates hell and, boom, stops the rebellion. And what does the adversary, the leader, the kingpin, say? Look at those daughters of men down there. What does he know in the back of his mind? The seed of the woman's going to nail me, so what do I need to corrupt? The seed of the woman. So what do they do? They go down, verse 4. They mingled with them. In other words, they married them and they had marriage relations. Mixed room, okay? But look at verse 4. There were, what? Giants in the earth in those days. What did their offspring produce? Giants. They produced... Uh, when the sons of God came in and the daughters of men, under the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. What happened? We got this superhuman race, don't we? A mixture here. By the way, did you notice I skipped the phrase when I read that verse? Go back and look at it. Produced in those days. Do you see the, co the colon? And also after that, comma. So the giants, this is pre-flood. The flood's coming. What does that verse tell you is going to happen after the flood? It's going to happen again. You remember Goliath, the Philistines, and he was a what? He's a giant. And everybody goes, oh, they got giants. Giants were killed in the flood. But that verse says, and where? Also after that. It's going to happen again because what is Satan after? He's after polluting, destroying the seed line issue. So he's reacting. If you keep reading, verse 5, And God saw that, wickedness, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of, thoughts, of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Jeremiah 17, verse number 9, the, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't even know it. By the way, Hebrews 4, verse number 12 says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than two and two edged sword, dividing into, unto the thunder thoughts and joints and the intents of the heart. I get it out there. Blah, 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 blah. Okay? You can look it up. Write it down, look it up. What, the only thing that can read your heart is the word of God, is God Himself. That's why when you come to the Word of God, you're literally talking to the God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, face to face. And if you viewed your Bible that way, that, hey, when I read this, it's like me having a conversation with the Godhead, then your, then your scriptures take on a whole new meaning to you. They become valuable. You want to protect them. You want to make sure they're in publication. You're going to want to do that. Why? Because, man, this is God. Here he is. By the way, verse 6, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. When it says there he repented, and it repented the Lord, he didn't change his mind about creating man. He says, I wish man wasn't in this condition that man is in. What's their condition? Well, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Verse 7, and the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. But then he goes to Noah, and what does he tell Noah? Noah, you and your family. So he's not sorry about creating man. He's sorry that man's in this evil condition. But he looks at Adam, I mean, looks at Noah, and he says, you're going to build a boat. And it's going to be the ugliest thing, but it's going to work. It's going to do what needs to be done. You and your family get in. And then we're going to put two of each animal, the kind of animal, in there. And then, but you know what, though? He didn't put every animal back in there. Some of them he left off because what are they? What are some of the animals in verse 7? What are they? They're evil. They're corrupted. You know, people always ask, what happened to the dinosaurs? The flood. That's what happened to the dinosaurs. How can they dig down in the earth so deep and find relics and fossils and all that? The flood put them there. You know why? Because in, when God does this on, on the other side of the flood, there's no need for a big old dinosaur, T-Rex, you know, whatever. It's corrupted. 
by the way, we were talking about unicorns. <laughs> Do you know unicorn in your Bible is a, it's, it's a real animal? Have you ever seen a rhinoceros? How many horns do they have? Just one. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in the Word of God does it say a unicorn is a one-horned horse. But the description of a unicorn matches the description of a rhino. Being tough and strong and, and bully and button heads and doing the work. We would also think about an ox, but, you know, it's, has, does, but an ox doesn't have a horn. Unless you're in, anyway, somewhere else. But look at verse 11, 611. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was what? Filled with violence. What's the result of the lie program? What's the result? Violence, corruption. So Satan missed the DNA issues and the inner man and the soul makeup. But when it was exposed to him and it was revealed to him, he then goes, I know how to go after that. And he turns to go after the seed of the woman. And he begins to turn and he begins to go. So what does he do? He is going to corrupt humanity. What happens on the other side of the flood? Noah and the boys come off. They have their sacrifice. The Lord tells them to separate, spread out. And this wonderful guy by the name of Nimrod shows up. And Nimrod is at Babel, chapter 10, verse, and chapter 11. And what does he cause man to do? Not scatter, but to unify. Not drift out and do what needs to be done, but to unify. Again, in rebellion and disobedience to the word of God. So that all of the world, one world, one language. And, but yet, what did God do? Reach down, confound the language. Right? Then a little bit later, God looks over, talks to a guy by the name of Abraham, creates his nation. We'll talk about the national creation down the road. Creates the nation of Israel. He looks over there at the nation of Israel. He looks at Moses. He looks at the prophets. And what does he say? Write this stuff down in a book. Now think about this. Satan is right there. He knows what God says. He's, he's figuring out how to destroy it, corrupt it. So then when God says, let's write this down in a book, what does Satan say? I can fix that too. Look over at Isaiah 30 and verse number 8. I know I have the overhead. I know you've got it there, but I reserve the right to leave the list at any time. Okay? Or not to complete the list, but you can. Isaiah 30, look at verse 8. Isaiah 30, if you start there in verse number 1, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, take that take counsel. So who's he talking to? Follow, faithful followers or rebellious children? He says rebellious children. Verse 8, now go, write it before them in a table, note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. When he looks at Moses and says, write this stuff down, Moses, so it's a testimony for how long? Forever. Now come over to 2 Corinthians 2. So Satan is very aware of what's happening. He looks at man, he goes, I can corrupt man's DNA. I can introduce something here that's going to corrupt the DNA, the seed line of man. Abraham has Ishmael. But Ishmael's not the seed line. Isaac is, so... There's Isaac, has Isaac. Isaac has two boys, Jacob and Esau. The elder shall serve the younger. That's how it's going to work. But Esau, you're not the guy. Jacob's the guy. Jacob has 12 boys. By the way, he also had, they think, the, the handbooks all think about tw anywhere from 15 to 20 daughters. But you don't read about them because what happens? We need to know about the 12 boys because what's coming? The 12 tribes of Israel. But you think about a big family like that. You go look at that and you go, man. So the Lord says it's going to be in one family, one tribe, Judah. But Judah's the largest tribe of them all. So what family in Judah? And he reaches over and he says, Jesse. And Jesse became David, the king. Now think about David and his seed line. Were they all righteous, good guys? Oh, no way, man. 
He was a, he's called the bloody man because he was a man of war, David was. But his children were just as bad. When David goes over and has his little fling with Bathsheba, Absalom throws that back at his dad down the road when he usurps and goes away. So you think about, you got David. Now, Matthew 1, the generation of the Lord, the son of David, son of Abraham, and it runs down through the genealogy, down through Solomon, and come to find out that, oh, Jeconias back there has been cursed. He can never sit on the throne. Well, wait a second here. That's Joshua's genealogy. But you go to Luke, and what did the Lord do? What did the Holy Spirit do? What does the Word of God do in Luke 3 when he gives the genealogy line of Mary? He says Mary didn't come from Jeconias. Mary came from Nathan, the right boy. And so you trace that thing down. You with me? We're doing a history lesson quick because I'm trying to get somewhere. Going slow. So what, but what was Satan doing all along? Every time there's a tick, boom. You remember the story of the sun standing still? And doing all of that, and everybody pitches a fit. How would that be? It, it was because God's word said. Hezekiah, he's in the seed line. He's about to die with no heir. Yeah, go back and read that stuff. Slow stuff down so that Hezekiah can get better. Added 15 years. What happens? Hezekiah has a boy that's in the seed line, in the genealogy of the Lord. What's Satan doing? I, I could just see that. Man, Satan's like, I got Hezekiah. He ain't, he ain't having kids. He's dead. And the Lord goes, eh, I don't think so. Boop. Don't. What does Satan know? I can corrupt him. Now, what does Satan know about you and I? What are we in Ephesians 1.13? You're in. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, aren't we? The moment we trust Cal the Savior and his work exclusively on Calvary, what are we? We're sealed. with this. So what does Satan know he can't do to you? Unseal you. Okay? So then he sits there and he says, I can get them. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17. For we are not as many which, what? Corrupt the word of God. Now think about how Satan shifts. Now he's going to give us the precedent in Genesis 3. We'll get there in just a second. But think about how he's shifting his tactic now. Because here's his response to all that he's missed. He says what? The, Paul says, for we are not as many. He doesn't say one. He doesn't say two. He says many and you know what we're not like the many all right you know go back to genesis genesis 3 think about what satan knows and how he's going to react specifically to you and i but just in a general broad sense genesis 3 verse 1 and the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What's his tactic? Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? Did he really say it? Did he say that or did he say something else? What did he really say? Now go back to chapter 1. Because what does Satan understand? He understands how God works in creation. And he works in creation by what he said. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was what? Without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now watch, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said... God said when he wanted to move and to work in creation, when he wanted to have activity, he spoke. He's working, the Spirit of God works through the Word of God. If God said something, what is he doing? He's communicating. 
He's revealing himself. He's doing something. So Satan understood this. He understood it from the get-go. He understood that if he was going to win the ultimate battle, he had to corrupt what God was saying and what God was doing. So when he says the seed of the woman, he says, I can fix that and I can go get that seed, but I've got to fix his word over here. And I've got to corrupt his words in order for them not to have the power and the authority and the influence that God's word is designed to have. I hope you catch that. Satan's response is 6,000 years of let's make God's word say what it doesn't say. Let's corrupt it. Let's move the dynamic. Come over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Watch this happen. Again, Paul's day, our day. But in Paul's day, 2 Corinthians 2, 17, we're not as many who corrupt the word. When he talks about corrupting there, he's talking about literally changing the text on the page. Okay? In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, he talks about handling the word of God dishonestly. That's the issues of right division. 217 is that they are literally erasing what he said and making it say something else. 2 Thessalonians 2. Again, doing that so that it doesn't have the power and the influence. If the Spirit of God works in your life through the Word of God, which is how he works, and you don't have the Word of God, then the Spirit is what? Not gonna, he's not able to work. We can't get rid of the Spirit, but we can sure mess up the Word, can't we? Okay? All the Old Testament stuff flowing through my head. It's like, eh. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. By the way, that end of that verse, by our gathering together unto him, is a great word, great way to explain what we call the rapture. If you want to get away from the rapture term, it's our gathering together. Ephesians 1, the day of redemption. Much better, okay? Anyway, that ye, now watch, be not soon, what? Shaken. Shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as at the day of Christ is at hand. So at Thessalonica, what's happening to them? They're, have, they're being shaken. They're being moved off of their stability, their platform, their foundation. And notice he's doing it soon shaken where? That's in, in my, what do you do up here in your mind? <laughs> you know, you think, your thinking process, your process of reasoning, of moving things down through to come to the conclusion you should come to. And he's going to do it by spirit. They claim to be speaking for God. You've heard them. I had a vision last night. I had a dream. I'm God, thus God says. You know, you, you understand. So what are they doing? They're by spirit, nor by word. The message that they're hearing, nor by what? Letter. And that's the counterfeiting, the corrupting of God's word. They're literally sending a letter out to the church here in Thessalonica and others. They literally forge the name of the Apostle Paul on it that says, you've missed the day of Christ, the rapture. You've missed it. And you're going to have to go do that. And they take, by the way, when it says, as at the day of Christ is at hand, the day of Christ there is not a bad thing. It's our rapture, our gathering together. But they've made it into a bad thing. They've made it to be talking about the tribulation, and, and we've studied that in our Thessalonians study. So it's not, they didn't take a, hey, what a, boy, what a glorious day that will be to see our Savior, you know, to meet and to get on with the program. And yet they've made it into, but how did they do it? They got a letter as from us. And that's been Satan's response to all that God is doing in creation. 
Now come back to Jeremiah 36. Jeremiah 36. <sighs> okay, yeah, Jeremiah 36. Man, Deuteronomy 4, though. Yeah, Jeremiah 36. Look at verse 1. Jeremiah 36, 1. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto thee against Israel and against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spake unto thee, from the days of Jos Josiah, even unto this day. So what's he about to receive? A lot of words. Verse number 4, Then Jeremiah called Barak, and Barak uh, wrote from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord which he had spoken unto him and upon a roll of a book. Notice the word all in verse 2 and the word all in verse 4. If he wrote all, then he didn't leave a word out. When I take notes, I have, I have Rick Jordan shorthand. Okay? I, had Linda, I told Linda, I said, I need you to take my notes and put them on the computer. And she goes, yeah, fat chance. Why? Because about every third word's left out. I don't, I, you can't write fast as you speak, so I have my shorthand, you know, that I understand. I said, well, I can teach you my shorthand. She goes, no, I'm not doing that. You do it. I'm like, okay. So I, guess what? I still haven't done it. But anyway, if you're going to, how did God's word come into existence? Somebody wrote it down, wrote down what he said. Write it all down, though, all the words. And that's the issue of inspiration and preservation, those two great doctrines about the word of God. Inspiration, God speaks the words. The issue is the words. Preservation, we take those words and we write it down. And they're going to be preserved forever. Isaiah 30, verse 8, okay? So we've got inspiration and preservation here very clearly. All of them. Don't leave anything out. All the words. Put it in a, I love the way he says that in verse 2. Take thee a roll of a book. What's the indication? We're going to add more to it. The thing is, is Jeremiah is adding to what's already been there. When Moses sits and he writes the law out and he writes the first five books and he's got Job, Job's the first book written there, he God tells Moses, you take the, the scriptures, the book, and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. And the idea was, was that every time something was written, the Levite tribe was to add to the book. They were to make the copies for everybody and add that to the book. Jeremiah, you write it down, and then we'll get it added to the book. You follow, okay? By the way, that, you see that word roll? We were talking about DNA last time. 23 times that's used in Scripture. Half, half your chromosome makeup, your DNA, it's right there. Okay, anyway, for all you number, number guys. The book was prepared how? God spoke it. The prophets wrote it down. It was then preserved. Verse 16. Now it came to pass when they had heard, well, the, verse 15, and they said unto him, sit down now and read it in our ears. So Barak read it in their ears. What did Barak read? He read the original copy right from God to Jeremiah to Barak right down. He left nothing out. Jeremiah didn't miss anything. Barak didn't miss anything. Verse 16, now it came to pass when they had heard all the words. So what did they hear? They heard it all, okay? They heard what was going to happen against Israel and Judah and all the nations there, verse 2. They, were, they heard it all. They were wonderfully rejoicing, verse 16, and happy to have it. No, they were what? They were afraid, both one and other, and said unto Barak, we will surely tell the king of all these words. Man, we've got to let the higher-ups know fast. And they asked Barak, saying, tell us now, watch, how didst thou write all these words at his mouth. Then Barak answered them, he pronounced, I love this, all these words unto me with his mouth, and I wrote them with ink in the book. It's kind of like that Jeff Foxworthy stuff, here's your sign. 
I love that. Barak's just like, what do you mean, how did I take this down? He spoke them, and I wrote them, you know, just, you know, yeah, exactly, not rocket science, okay? Then verse uh, 18 is a wonderful verse. In one verse, you have inspiration in verse 18 and preservation. He spoke it, and I wrote it down. Now drop verse 19. Then said the princes unto Barak, Go hide thee, thou and Jeremiah, and let no man know where you be. They're trying to shut them down because they're, pre they're speaking a prophecy against the nation. <laughs> and they're shutting it down quick. So they go to the verse 21. So the king sent Jehudi to fetch the roll. And he took it out of, the, out of Elishama, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudi read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Think about that. Jeremiah and Barak don't get to read it. The religious guy gets to read it, and he's, he doesn't know yet what's in it, and he's just reading away all the, all the stuff. Verse 23, And it came to pass that when Jehudi had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. So what did he do? He burned it up, cut it up, destroyed it. But which, what did he destroy? The original, just FYI, okay? He destroyed the Now, come over to verse 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after that the king had burned the roll. And the words which Barak wrote, at the mouth of Jeremiah, saying, now watch this, take thee again another roll and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, hath burned. Jeremiah, you and Barak sit down and rewrite that, that first one. So they rewrite it. Isn't that interesting? Don't worry about that original burning away. We're going to make a copy of it. Rewrite it. Verse 29. Well, where did it go? Verse 32, sorry. I'll get there. Verse 32. Then took Jeremiah another roll, gave it to Barak, the scribe, son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jeho Jehoiakim king of Judah had burned in the fire. So what did he do? He rewrote it. But finish the verse. And there were added besides unto them many like words. The Lord says, rewrite it, and then let's, we're going to add some stuff now. It's time to add. My point is, is the original was burned up, and what did God do? That word's got to be there. So we're going to rewrite it, make a new copy, reproduce it. And that's the function of preservation, the reproducing of the word of God. And when you are going to preserve it, he has a whole system set up in, the, in Israel in the Old Testament through the Levite, and the, they copy it out, okay? And they've got a whole system there. The the in other words, folks, the original was not the issue. You know what Satan thought? The original was the issue. If I can shut that one down, then guess what? I've won. And the Lord says, go ahead, we'll just redo it all over here. Think about Moses when he came down the hill, heard the roar in the war in the camp. What did he do to the original ten? Busted them up. The Lord says, that's okay. You know, could you imagine dropping the word of God and it breaking in pieces? This morning... We had a piece of glass that was in one of our china cabinets, and it had broke, and I was saving it to go to the glass shop to have a new one made, and I bumped it this morning, and over it went, and glass everywhere. Now I'm like, man, i got to take the whole stinking cabinet with me to measure, you know, and all this. I don't, but, you know, think about doing that to the Word of God, and then God's saying, don't worry about it. we got it covered. Let's redo this. The copy, literally here, the copy, is now going to carry the same authority, the same weight, the same judgment as the original did. Because it's the word. Now come to 2 Timothy 3. So when Satan says, Satan's reaction, I'll fix the seed of man. 
I'll get them. And God says, that's okay. I got my word. Wrote a word. God says, Satan says, I can get that too. And God says, no, you can't. Because I've got a plan to preserve that. So his reaction is corruption. Corrupt, corrupt, corrupt. Why? So that it loses its authority. It loses its influence. It loses its power. Now look at 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13. We'll start there. And just notice something here with Paul and you and I, and Timothy, but with really you and I. 1 Timothy is, the, the, the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, are all telling you and I how we ought to behave ourselves when we come together in a local assembly. 1st Timothy says, here's how the local church is to run and to operate. Here's the roles of the men. Here's the roles for the women. Here's the roles for the children. Here's how this is going to work in your environment, in your culture, but here's the general outline over idea. Then in 2 Timothy, he says, okay, you see that local church that we just established? It's now falling apart. It's now in apostasy. It has, chapter 1, left me, forsaken the apostle Paul and the doctrines given to him. It's now over here in perilous times. It's now moving away, 3.13. But evil men and seducers shall wax, what? Worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. How are they doing that? See, that's the question. How do they deceive? And, and by the way, being deceived. They're deceived themselves and then turn around and deceive others. Well, watch Paul deal with that. Verse 14, just real quick because it's there. What are we to do? But continue thou. In the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, of whom thou hast, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. What do we know? We know who we are. We know who we are in Christ. We have the Apostle Paul. We've got the 13 epistles, Romans to Philemon. So where do we continue? We continue in that sound doctrine. Okay? Now watch verse 15. And that from a child thou, and the thou here is Timothy, hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Think about this. What salvation is Paul talking about in the context? Because I'm going to tell you, you think about that for a second. Because what happens here, nine out of ten times, is people say the salvation here is his soul salvation, but yet only scripture that Timothy had was the Old Testament. How do you in the world do you get saved in the Old Testament? you got to go be an Israelite, see? And Timothy wasn't. So this has nothing to do about justification. What salvation is he talking about? Salvation just means being saved from calamity. What's the calamity? How about 3.1? 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. This now also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be. What's going to happen? They're going to get worse and worse. The salvation here in the context is the apostasy that's going to show up in the body of Christ, in the dispensation of grace. And what scriptures then does he have to help get him through that? Well, yeah, he has the Old Testament. Yes, he has Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. But who else does he have? Paul. He's got some sound doctrine there. Do you follow that? You leave things in their context, they make a lot more sense. So then he says, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. But again, all scripture, script, the stuff written down. You, you, you know, the theft, de the theft device for the millennials and the Gen Zers on your car, it's called stick shift. <laughs> because they don't know how to drive a stick. And you know how you can write in hidden code for the new generation? Write in cursive, because they can't read cursive. See, there it is. You know, okay. No, what all scripture, script, the stuff written down. By the way, that stuff was just a joke, okay? <laughs> I realize I didn't change my tone, okay? But it's scripture, the stuff written down, inspired. God took his spirit and spoke some words. He put his spirit in those words. John 6, 63, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. 
So he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? Why is there profit? Why do we go to the word for our doctrine and our correction and our reproving and our instruction? That the man of God may be what? Perfect. But perfect has a definition. Perfect doesn't mean sinless. What's after the word perfect, punctuation-wise? Comma. Perfect, comma. Here's what perfect means. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You want to have good works in your life? You want to have good activity? You want to, yea, all those that live, will live godly? What do you have to have? All the scripture. What is Satan trying to do? His goal is to cause you not to live godly. His goal is to cause you to live separated from the love of God. So what is he going to do? How does he do that? He comes over here and he uses his scheme to do what? Corrupt the word of God. To make it, cause it to lose its power, its influence, its authority in your life. In 3.15, Timothy has no originals. All his mother and grandmother had were copies. And yet, what was that copy able to do? Saving, helping in the time of trouble. In verse 16, when he says all scripture, Paul's referring to the copies as being the inspired word of God. The copies. That's what you and I have today, is a copy. How do you know? Come over to Hebrews 10 with me. See, the great question then is how do you know that your copy is the right copy? <laughs> right? Well, look, yeah, Ricky told you nothing. I'll say I lied. You better be operating on faith, not by what the preacher said, because the preacher can be wrong. <laughs> look at Hebrews 10. And look at verse number 7. He's quoting Psalms 40, the writer of Hebrews is. Then said I, and the I there is the Lord, it's Jehovah in Psalms 40, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I come, now notice the parenthesis. Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of who? To do thy will, O God. Who is the central character of the word of God? The Lord Jesus Christ is. So, if I have another Bible, other than a King James Bible, and we're not going to do this this morning, we've done it before, and I look at Matthew 1, and they take out the word firstborn, Mary's firstborn. Look at Matthew 1, I'll just show you. Look at Matthew 1, look at verse 25. Look at Matthew 1, 25. And you can do this. I'm not telling you, do this in an English Bible. You know, everybody gets all hung up on the Hebrew and the Greek that their eyes can't see straight. You don't read that stuff. You read English. By the way, if you read Spanish, you can do this with your Spanish Bibles and stuff. I know people who do. But look at Matthew 125. And knew, not, and knew her not till she had brought forth her, what? Firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Well, if the Bible omits first son or firstborn, but he had no union with her until she gave to birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Who named the baby Jesus? God the Father did. Gabriel told jo Joseph, name him Jesus. But the NIV leaves out the firstborn, and you can do that with everyone. By the way, just FYI, the New King James footnotes the word firstborn and says it is omitted in most texts. Okay? And you can do that. You can go all through this. Come over to Mark 1. Here's another one. So if the center character of the Bible is the Lord, and you withdraw the phrase, firstborn, that protects the virgin birth of the Lord, then what is he? He's just another dude. That's all he is. But who is he? He's the Christ, the son of the living God. That trouble. Mark 1, verse number 2. As it is written in the prophets, 
your Bible prophets, the new Bibles say Isaiah. Then he quotes Malachi. The, the quote there, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. That's Malachi 3, verse 1. That's not Isaiah. So I got a problem. Either Isaiah is wrong and incomplete, or Malachi is in the wrong, wrong. Something's wrong here. Now, by the way, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, that's Isaiah 40. Don't you follow that? Something's wrong. Come over to Colossians 1. By the way, these are the four verses that I use with folks when we talk about Bible stuff, Bible version stuff. Look at Colossians 1, look at verse 14. Colossians 1, 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, even, I'm sorry, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The issue of his blood through his blood is removed. Well, wait a minute. The central character of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior. He came into this world to save sinners, and yet you just remove the mechanism by which he saves everybody. And again, you can go on and on. Now, come back with me quickly to Genesis 3. So when you come to the Word of God, uh, somebody told me here recently, I'll just as you're going back to Genesis 3, that um, the NIV, the latest edition of the NIV in Colossians 1.14 actually sticks the blood back in it. Because they've been called on the carpet too many times by their uh, customer base. <laughs> so they've rewritten it back. And it's like, really? Okay. Now, I haven't validated that, so, because I don't, they don't, they leave it alone. They, they, they don't mess up. They don't, they leave Mark 1, as I just said. But the other one, they, and, and then the firstborn stuff, they call Joseph his father. Well, the Lord's father wasn't Joseph, it's, it's the father. But they have corrected some of that because they've been called on the carpet of, hey, wait a minute, that's not, that doesn't match our doctrinal statement. See, look at Genesis 3. So if, so the adversary corrupts the, 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 Role of the book, your DNA, this life right here, it's corrupted. He, he goes after the word. Now in Genesis 3, in the first five verses, the adversary lays out how he's going to attack both the word of God and humanity. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So what does he do? What's the first thing he does? Questions it. Says, wait a second. Now that question leads Eve, verse 2. The, word, the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. What did she leave out? Do you remember? She left something out, didn't she? But see, the questioning of God's word has caused a subtraction from the word. Verse 4, verse 3. But of the, fr of the fruit of the trees which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye, what? touch it. So now that, that questioning has caused a subtraction and an addition. See that? By the human, the hearer. It wasn't, Satan didn't subtract and add. His question caused that to happen. Look at verse, well, verse 3, lest ye die, there she she added the word touch, and she watered down the death aspect. Because the Lord had said, you're going to surely die. Not a maybe you will, maybe you won't. Then in verse 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not. Now notice him quote it right, surely die. He did what? Completely denies it. By doing that, by questioning and causing humanity to add, subtract, 
and then him ultimately denying what the word said, by one man sin entered into the world. He just took man, the object in chapter 1, in chapter 2, of God, the agent that God was going to use to subdue and to bring back creation under his control, he just nullified him from the battlefield. Now come back to 2 Corinthians 2. He just took man and made him worthless, useless. So what does God have to do? He, the rest of Genesis, he fixes it. <laughs> write the book down, write the word down, and go. Now, Paul tells us, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, lest Satan should get a what? An advantage of us. How does he do that? He begins by questioning. Then that causes your reaction with the end result of a complete denial of the power and the impact of the word of God in your life. He says, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And that, folks, is where we need to be. That's what we've been doing, why we've been doing this kind of big picture look here, 1 Corinthians 15, if you will, because you need to be understanding what he's all, what the adversary is all about. Let's not be ignorant. Let's be well informed, well aware of how the adversary works and operated and operates so that we are not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. That we're able to do 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be that. Let's be victorious. Let's be Romans 8, more than conquerors. Let's have a life that's impacted by and with the Word of God, rightly divided. In our English today, in our language today, in English, it sits in a King James Bible. I don't make no bones about that. I don't hide from that. But I've come to that conclusion based on a study of my faith resting that there's God's Word. It comes through a study of protecting and promoting the central figure, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. In my study, I did for me. You do it for you. The other Bibles do not do that. They hide who he is. And then they go hide how you and I are to gain our stability today in the issues of dispensational Bible study. You come to that conclusion for you. you know, I don't, I'm not making conclusions for any of you. This is just how Satan works. And if you look about Christianity as a whole, he's done a pretty good job. Because you have this, you got all of this rumbling. Okay? So let's be 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Let's be victorious. Exactly. Why? Because that's how God would have us. That's who we are in Christ. Now we'll get over in Ephesians 6 and look at how he, the wiles and all that good stuff down the road. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we have it. We can study it. We can know how to study it. So that in our lives, in time, right now, we can do, we can do what is well-pleasing to you. We can be that ambassador that we're to be right now in time in our community, in our lives, in our acquaintances, in our family. And we can do that for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to stand. I'm going to...